I do feel like I should say, because somebody asked me this morning, hey, what's going on? Uh, why, why aren't you in 1 Corinthians? You were preaching verse by verse through that. What happened? And um, first thing I said is, well, you should have been here. Right, Terry? And the uh, second thing I'll say is that if you don't know what's going on, is that I announced a few weeks ago that, that we're taking a break just for the summer. And we're in a summer series of messages where I'm dealing with, and I, I just called the series of messages uh, True Answers to Tough Questions. And we're taking questions that are uh, sort of dominating our cultural conversations right now and things that I feel like as Christians we need to have an answer for. We need to understand. And, and I also want to say, for those of you who haven't been here, to just sort of get a flavor for how I'm trying to handle these things, is that I'm not trying to address these things um, by giving you sound bites from news stories or reading quotes from people in the news or talking about current events. What I'm really trying to do is just take the issue that we're dealing with and ask, ask what does the Bible teach us about this? How do we measure, uh, how do we measure the subject against God's Word? Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the difference between a judgment and a measurement. We make judgments about things, and our judgments are sometimes, many times, wrong. And our responsibility as Christians, then, is to take God's Word and measure the subject against God's Word and then submit to that measurement. So let me just read for you in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 down through verse 12, and then we'll begin. John writes these, these words. After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and, the, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, today, obviously, you see it on the screen, you know what's coming, you've seen it in your bulletin, we're going to tackle the subject of racism. And I think that we would all agree, I can't imagine anybody wouldn't agree, that this is a subject that has become or has been pushed to the top of almost every cultural conversation that we're having right now. I think that without a doubt, I'm 42 years old, without a doubt in my 42 years, it seems like the last five years, the relationship between different races in our country has seen a steep steep decline in that relationship. This is not going well. We're not doing well culturally when it comes to the issue of race and, and race relations. And I'm not alone in thinking that. A recent poll said that 84% of Americans now agree that there is a lot, and this is how it was phrased, a lot of hostility between ethnic and racial groups in America. 84% of Americans agree. I'm not sure the other 16% what they think about it, but I think it's true. There's a lot of hostility between all the racial groups in America, and only 7% of Americans believe that racism is a problem of the past. I know that when I was growing up, I grew up and, and sort of thought that the 
the issue, I'm, I know I'm not, I'm not silly, I'm not stupid, I know that racism exists in all times and all places, but I felt like the larger cultural conversation had been done before I came along. I feel like now that we're revisiting it all. It's not a thing of the past anymore. And, and I want you to know something as we begin this conversation as well, because I think this is important. I think this is vitally important that you understand that racism is not a uniquely American problem. I think that many of us, particularly those of us who are younger, have, have been taught that this is our problem in America, that racism is our thing, particularly in this country. And I just want you to know that's not true. I want you to understand that there's a bigger issue. I remember when, uh, when this began to become clear to me, is the first time that Pastor Nick and I traveled to Ghana, and we were in the western region of Ghana, and we were there in, in a, a certain area of the country, and we had planned a short trip, just an excursion, on a Sunday into Monday, we were going to travel across the country to the far eastern side of the country, to the Volta region, and we were going to go there and, and to a village that we had some contacts in, to a people called Awe people. And we were at church that Sunday, and when we uh, began to, after the church service, we began to talk to the people after church, and we were telling them our plans, that yeah, we're leaving this evening, we're going to drive to Volta, we're going to Tibeto, and we're going to meet with the Awe people there and do some work there based on some contacts we have here in the States. And people at the church began to say to us, don't go there. You, you shouldn't go there. Even the pastor of the church came to us after church and said, don't go there. And originally I thought, well, they're telling us that because they love us and they're concerned for our safety and we know it's a sort of a more hostile area. But what it turns out after many conversations it became very clear is that they were telling us, don't go there because those Away people need to be left alone. They're lesser than us. They're just idol worshipers. Nobody should go there. Leave them alone. You don't want to mess with those people. And I began for the first time in my life to see that not just in America, but everywhere, there are issues with tribalism and racism. I remember on that trip as well, we would be out at night and they would warn us about certain places we should go. And, and we would always say, well, what's the deal? And they would say, well, those Nigerians will come across at night and they'll steal and they'll rob and they'll do all sorts of nasty things. And what we've learned over the years is that between the people of Ghana and the people of Nigeria, they just don't like each other based upon their nationalities. They just have a, a sort of a, a, a thing about not liking each other. Now, I think of all kinds of other illustrations in Antigua. How many of you have been to Antigua? When we began doing ministry in Antigua with the Spanish-speaking community, the native Antiguans began to tell us that these people also should be left alone because they're dirty and they're nasty and we don't have anything to do with them. Racism. They're in Antigua all over the place. And we can think about all sorts of other examples. I mean, you can think about big examples. Six million Jews exterminated during World War II. And that, at its core, is a racist act. Conflicts all across Central Africa where millions of lives have been lost and some of those conflicts waging for 50 or more years and the amount of lives lost in those conflicts, many of them pale or, or make the lives lost in the Holocaust pale in comparison. We don't know much about these things, but it's happening and most of them at their core are acts of racism and tribalism. Racism is not an American problem. Strictly, it is an American problem. But it's not just our problem. 
And it's also not just a 2019 problem. It's a problem that's been going on and extends to all men of all time. So my goal today is to help us look at this topic through the lens of Scripture and ask, how should a Christian think and respond to the subject of racism? My goal today is, again, not to deal with systemic racism in the West or, or give commentary on various social movements in our country. Really, I just want to get to the heart of the issue. And I don't think I put this, in fact, I know I didn't. I, don't, I didn't put this in the PowerPoint, but, but you need to know this as we start this conversation. You need to know that the heart of the issue is that racism is not primarily a social issue. You listening? Racism is not primarily a social issue. Racism is primarily a sin issue. You get that? Y'all with me? Does anybody in here think that they're innocent of this particular sin issue? Because I know I'm not. And I don't think any of us are truly. I think we all have issues in this department. We all have issues, and it's a sin issue. Here's the definition of racism. Listen to this definition of racism. Racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Now let me modify it just with two words for our discussion today. And listen to the definition again. I'm going to add two words that will make this definition of racism become sort of the, the thesis of this sermon. And listen to it. Prejudice discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior is sinful. There's the two words. It's sinful. And now I'm going to give you the reasons, I think the broad reasons, just like last week, why I believe that this is a sin issue. So number one, it's already up there if you haven't got it already. Number one, racism is sinful Because every person of every race bears the image of God. And this is interesting to me. I didn't expect this necessarily. When I began to set out in in this message, I didn't expect that we would start here, but I found it interesting that we're starting at the same place with this issue as we started with, with the issue of abortion. Did you catch that? Did you notice that? It's not because I'm lazy. It's just because it's true. Listen, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 9. Keep your thumb there in Revelation chapter 7 and turn with me to Genesis 9. This is the starting point for this discussion that every human life is valuable because every human being reflects the image of God. So Genesis chapter 9. I'm going there too. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. And you say, well, why is that important to us in the discussion about racism? Well, just stop and think about what's going on here. Recognize what God has done here in this statement. 
what he's done here is God has just made the provision for man to be able to make a meal of every living creature on the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right? I, any vegetarians in the room? All right. I was, we were going to have a prayer meeting just for you if you were here. I mean, look, you're missing out if you're not eating the things that God is giving you. But just think of this. He's, he's saying because of Genesis chapter 9, verse 2, because of that verse, we can have prime rib, Donnie. Right? I mean, amen. Because of this verse, we can have fried chicken. I'm serious. Like, just follow me. I'm not just trying to be funny. Just think about what's being said here is that, that because of, of this verse, we can have grilled rockfish or, or whatever it is that you like to eat on the grill, seafood-wise. But just think of, of what he's doing here. But then connect the dots, too. And understand that when God says, I'm giving you every single living creature to eat, you have to understand that in order for us to make a meal and have ribeye, the cow has to die. Right? In order for us to have fried chicken, the chicken has to die. In order for us to eat grilled fish, the fish has to die. So in these verses, God is giving us permission to eat from every living creature. And He's also giving us permission... This is in your Bible. He's also giving you permission to take the lives of those living creatures. Get that. Because he, what follows is vitally important. Because he goes on to separate mankind in a special way. I mentioned this sort of in passing last week, but, but look at it. Verse 4. But you shall not eat any flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And, and for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So he said, eat of any living creature. You can take its life, but you cannot take the life of a man. And even an animal who takes the life of a man will suffer judgment from God. That's what this verse says. And he says, and, and from your fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6, for whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, and this is the reason, for God made man in his own image. You do not kill a man because to kill a man is to snuff out an image bearer of God. We talked about that last week. Man is special because he's the image bearer of God. But, but take it another step forward and, and apply it to the subject that we're dealing with. Last week we dealt with the, the child in the womb. Now we're dealing with the man outside the womb. And this tells us that all men are special to God. Every life means something to God. All white men bear the image of God. All black men bear the image of God. All Asian men bear the image of God. All Latino men bear the image of God. And women too, I'm using man universally. But you get the idea. Every race, every person bears the image of God. And this is the starting point. This is where we begin. The color of our skin and the language that we speak is not unimportant. I I don't want you to think it's unimportant because I, I don't think that. I think that God, if race was unimportant, I think that we'd all be of one race. I don't know why God did it. I don't know why God allowed some of us to have light skin, some of us have dark skin, 
Some of us have straight hair. Some of us have curly hair. I think that God created us, and He created us intentionally, and it's not unimportant what race we are, but, but the fact that we are created in the image of God is one billion times more important than our race. So that's where we start. We are image bearers of God. Secondly, racism is sinful because it hinders the Great Commission. Don't miss this. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissioned His church to go and make disciples. This is the commission. This is what the church is for. This is what we're actually... The church is not primarily for worship. We gather and worship. I equip you as your pastor... We learn the Bible together, but the primary function of the church, the, the reason the church exists is for this commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is easy enough to understand, I think. Are you guys ahead of me already here? I hope. This is really easy to understand that, that if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission, Jesus tells us not go and make disciples of your people. Right? This is not, the, I mean, that's part of the command. In fact, if we were to go to Acts 1.8, you don't have to. Jesus, again, gives the command in a shorter form. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll become my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And many people have pointed out the truth that the reason that Jesus threw Samaria in there wasn't just geographical. It was because there was tension, racial tension between the Jews who made up the first believers and the Samarians. So much so that we all, most of us know, I think, if you've studied any of the New Testament, you know that even a Jew, when he traveled and uh, traversed that country, would do everything he could to go around Samaria just so he didn't have to be with those people. And Jesus says, go to Samaria. So you get the idea that we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. And in order to do that, we have to go make disciples of people who don't speak the language we speak. They don't look the way we look. They don't have a culture that we have. They don't have the same skin pigmentation as we have. Whatever you want to say. The truth is that racism hinders the Great Commission because racism excludes groups of people based upon their outward appearance. Based upon their race, their ethnicity. Now, some of you may think, well, Pastor, I know we all have our struggles, but nobody would object to sharing the gospel with somebody of a different race, would they? And I want to say they would. And I'll tell you how I know. Because in 2012, I think, Pastor Nick and I were setting out on our first trip together. Our church had not been supportive of us at the time. One of the joys of being a pastor of this church is the way that we support our international work. No matter where, no matter when, we all come together and we support it. I love that. Love that about us. But I want you to know that my first church, and I'm, I don't, I'm not taking shots at my first church. I love those people dearly. Gave five years of my life to them. But, but this, I think this deserves to be told. Is that our church didn't want us to go. 
The fact is, when it came time for us to, to ask the church to support us, outside of one donor who was a personal friend of Nick and I, our collective church, which was the size of this church, raised $200 for us to go to God. They didn't want us to go. And we knew what the underlying issue is. Of course, I couldn't say it from the pulpit. I would have caused a riot. But on the day that we left, I preached a sermon about the importance of missions. And on the day we left, I stood at the back door of the church like I used to do. We only had one way out. I'm like, you guys can get around me. But they would come. And, and Denise, Denise and I would stand at the back. And people were coming by and they were saying, be safe, pastor. And you know all the appropriate things. And as one couple approached me, he was a deacon, one of my deacons. And his wife took my hand in her hand and said, pastor, be safe. I said, I will. And she said, and remember, there's white people in Ghana too. Now, I hope you understand what she was saying. I mean, she said it just as clearly as she could have. Remember, there's white people in Ghana too. You think that there aren't people who think we shouldn't share the gospel with people because of their skin color? If you think that, you're wrong. There are people I've come across over the years in our churches. And brothers and sisters, let me be clear about something. Lest you think I'm just beating up on my own people. I've come across this with people of other skin colors as well, in the reverse. It is universally a sin problem. It hinders the Great Commission. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 17. Paul, talking about sharing the gospel, and preaching the gospel faithfully, said these words. He said, For the love of Christ compels us. It's the thing that drives us forward, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then he goes on to say this. So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says we regard no one according to the flesh. What is he saying there? I mean, isn't it clear? He's saying when we look at people, we're no longer looking at people the way that we once looked at people, where Paul as a Jew and as a devout Jew and as a Pharisee would have looked at Gentiles and thought they were lesser human beings. He would have looked at people outside the camp of Israel and thought they were less worthy of God's grace than he was. And now he's saying, now because of the love of Christ in us, now when we look at people, we do not regard people according to the flesh. We don't see them that way any longer. And he says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become, to, become new. And I think at the heart of this passage, what Paul's getting at when he throws that right in the middle is he's saying to us, now... There are only two types of people on planet earth. There are people who know Jesus as their Savior, and there are people who don't. That's it. There are no white lost people. There are no black saved people. There are no Asian lost people. 
There are either people who know Jesus or there are people who don't. And whatever modifier we put on it, it's just muddying the waters. You're either saved or you're not. And that's what he's saying. This is a great commission is based on this. The love of Christ compels us. And how did Jesus love? How did he love? He loved all of us. Which leads us to the third issue here is that racism is sinful because it's contrary to God's revealed will for us. And if you look back in Revelation 7, there's verses where we started at. Verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, our God, our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And here you understand what's going on in the book of Revelation is that John is getting glimpses of heaven. He's getting glimpses of what it's like and what it will be like. He has these visions of heaven. So here we have a picture of heaven and imagine what this is like. Imagine what this is going to be like when we look around in heaven and there are people there from Somalia. And there are people there from Nepal. And there are people there from Ghana. And there are people there from Russia. And there are people there from China. And there are people there from Antigua. And there are even people there from New York. (laughs) Glad you got the joke. Share that with Neil next time you talk to him. But, the, but just imagine it, that we look around in heaven and they're all there. Nobody's missing. Every single nation, every single tribe, every single language, they're all standing before the throne of God and they all recognize that the work of Christ was not limited to one race, one people, one nation. They all proclaim that He is our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And now, so we've seen this scene in heaven. And now Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. You don't have to turn there because you know this verse. Even if you don't know it by its verse, chapter and verse, you know this verse. When Jesus teaches us to pray, how does He begin? Your kingdom come. This is what we're told to pray for right now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you connect the dots between Revelation 7 and Matthew 6? We get a glimpse into heaven. What do we see there? The unity of every nation Every tribe, every tongue, all there gathered around the throne of God, praising God for His salvation for all people everywhere on planet Earth. All people have been created in His image. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray that God's will will be done on Earth just like it is in heaven. And so racism is sinful. Because to be racist is to live our lives 
in direct contradiction to God's revealed will for His people. Direct, direct rebellion against God. 